You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. This is your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders podcast. And today, we have an amazing independent creator that has a fire project out right now on Kickstarter Live, 13 days to go. It is called Waking Life. And I've had the pleasure of reading volume one. I was about to get started on volume two when the guy came on screen. I had that. like, ooh, I wish it was just a little bit later. <laughs> I went to the finish. But I was enjoying the crap out of it. So that, that means a lot right there. So let me introduce this wonderful illustrator, cartoonist, educator, the one, the only, Mr. Ben Humanek. Uepa, mi amigo. Como tu esta? <laughs> Gracias. Gracias. It's a pleasure to be here. You've got me gassed up, man. I just hung out with high school students all day, and you've got me even more elevated now. Let's go. Let's go. Let, let's bring the Uepa back to the... You know, Dope, dope book. I, I love what you, you, you're doing here. It's fun, great read, fantasy, dreaming. And I've always thought about some of the concepts here. It's funny as I read it. I'm like, wow, I always thought about this kind of stuff, especially when I was a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. That, you know. So we'll talk about all that in a moment, folks. Oh, yeah. You know how it is. This is Comic Crusaders. We need that origin story. And at the first time, guess, Ben, I need to know. I need to know. Where are you from originally? And, of course, the main question here. What's the first thing in fandom you ever fell in love with? My gosh, man. So I have lived in Texas my entire life. My family worked in the juvenile prison system since I was a little kid. And that caused us to move to some interesting places. But the first time I ever remember seeing a comic book that I read was in the uh, county library of Piote, Texas. And Piote, man, spelled like Piote, right? It's, it's an yeah. interesting place. 300 people. And just down the road, we had to drive like 15 minutes to get to the county library in the next community over. And I remember they had out, you probably, the book and record sets that used to be out from Power Records, like back mm-hmm. in the 1970s or 80s, right? They'd like reprint old comics. I remember they had like a Superman one where he's fighting bullets from space. They had like the Spider-Man issue where J. Jonah Jameson's son turns into the, the moon werewolf. And there's like some random Star Trek one. But those are the first comics I ever read was from that library. It had some book and record comics. And I just remember being captured by the illustrations and the energy of it all. And whenever I could find a comic after that, I was interested. But really in sixth grade, my friends were reading Toy Fair magazine, which was like the toy version of Wizard, right? That's it. That's it. All those Twisted Mago Theater comics in there, those like photo comics where the characters are doing silly things. That's what got me into comic books. It was like wholesale, baptized, it died in the wool. I was like, oh my gosh, Toy Fair comics about toys are so funny. I would love to read more comics. And from there, it was off to Spider-Man. And, and then it was off to Scott McCloud in college. And oh my gosh, there's more than superheroes. And from there, it was just this kind of snowball effect of really me just getting material from other people and getting excited and activated and then finding more for myself. Nice, nice. So then you had kind of a tribe growing up, you know, to enjoy your fandom with you, huh? It, to some degree, my the town I ended up in for most of my youth was like, 20,000 people and great place to grow up, excellent community, but very much like kind of the the show in the movie Friday Night Lights is very much the vibe of my Texas hometown, right? It's yeah. it's good, but if you're into like the comic stuff, at least in the 1990s and early 2000s, 
that was a little outside of the mainstream. So we did have a local comic store. That that, cool, bro. <laughs> yeah, right. So we had a local comic store and when there were some friends I could talk comics with from time to time, but honestly, it was the internet that helped me find more of my tribe through just connecting with people who were interested on message boards initially. And then Twitter really enabled a lot of that. Uh, God bless Twitter. I know it's called X, but it's still Twitter in my heart. So it's yeah, yeah just over time, found a little bit more of that. All right. So talk about that finding Twitter and the comic book community there. When you were looking for it, how did you find it? Did you find it through a positive means or through a negative means? Because you know how that could get sometimes. Absolutely. I got I got to be grateful for some friends. Uh, so fast forward a little bit. After college, I had done some cartoons at my campus paper and I had started doing like mini comics and zines, you know, kind of bootstrapping my comic stuff. And I'd hit a couple of conventions uh, in in Texas. And, Which ones, um, by the way? And were you aware of them prior or did you wind up going to them when you were older in life? No, it was stuff that I all found when I was in my 20s, to be honest. I, I wasn't in range of a comics convention when I was in my teens. The only one I really knew of would have been San Diego Comic-Con, which would have been tough to get to. But yeah. by the time I was in my 20s and making work, I was going to stuff like Staple, which is an independent show in Austin. Great show. Uh, Comic Palooza is our big show in the Houston area, which is where I currently live. And, and through that, ended up meeting creators and, and starting to be able to understand other people who were making art in the area. Probably the biggest boon in terms of my creative community, and I'll shout him out right here, is my friend Travis B. Hill. And Travis is a writer. He's got an excellent comic called Thorn that he does with artist Mark Pate mm-hmm. that comes from Advent Comics. Uh, he's working for a Sequential Potential, and they adapt academic research into comic narratives for Sequential Potential. And Travis and I are working on a one-shot for Band of Bards that comes out in 2024. But he was the first one to invite me into some Twitter group chats that he had made with friends. And and that allowed me to get to know people who kind of are all at the same level of like, we're making indie comics, we're working our way up. We kind of, we want to get into the direct market of local comic shops. We haven't made our footprint in there at this stage yet. How do we kind of move forward together? And it really just introduced me to a group of peers that I, that I treasure and cherish and and we still keep the conversation alive, even as Elon Musk is changing things. <laughs> it's still good. So, all right. So how, how, how do you navigate now the journey as an independent creator after meeting these folks? Did you find that it was easier to, to step into the independent comic you know, journey and, and create? Or was it something totally new and unexpected learning? Oh, man. I think it was much more of the former. I have found that in my experience, I have good fortune to see a lot of people working as independent creators in North America want to be successful, want to create work, want to be seen, but they don't view it as a competition. They don't view it as something where you got to pile on top of someone to get to the top. It is very much a rising tide lifts all boats. I think being part of the crowdfunding scene is part of that mentality. We know that if our projects are going to succeed, our peers are helping us out with part of that, advocating for our books, sharing information about that contributing to campaigns or raising awareness. And I think that group ethos is one of the most incredible things about being in that scene uh, because that feeds creativity instead of killing creativity. If you know other people are running this race too and you've got their back and they've got your back, it's a wonderful thing. I want to ask you something here. I'm intrigued from your background. Are those ships that you have all over behind you? Do you recognize where they're from? They are, they are Star Trek ships. They're that not was- even Star Wars. Yes, yeah. I, was saying, I was looking at the top, and yeah, that, that, I was like, huh? Yeah, yeah. well, a handful <laughs> of more. No, 
man, it would be excusable if they were Star Wars ships because then, like, that's cool. That's fine. I got a Razor Crest for Millennium Falcon. People get that. No. Al, that, that is the entirety of every Federation starship that has appeared on screen in the Star Trek franchise that was produced by Eagle Moss. God, God rest their soul. That is my that is my bad habit. Making comics is a good habit. Collecting spaceships is the bad habit. Uh, no, I was looking at uh, you, you're talking. I'm like, yo, he had a massive amount of spaceships back there. That, that's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I, I did that. All right. So yeah. how did you find the crowdfunding space? How, how did you get into that? How what was that learning curve like? Was it, was it easy? You know, how did you navigate? You know, because again, was, was it a solo journey in your first project or did you find that you had to kind of build a semi team to, to get it going? Yeah, I think much more of a team. I, I really got into it through the anthology space. There are some incredible opportunities for independent creators to make anthologies together and put them on Kickstarter so that their work can be seen and they can meet collaborators and develop that network together. My first big experience with that was with a project called Big Hype. It was a manga style anthology that was created by Doug Wood, who has done a lot of good in the indie comics community. And Doug that Wood was good. That's all I like to campaign slogan. Doug Wood does good. <laughs> Doug Wood does good. And we should do that. Here's the thing about Doug. He created a lot of opportunities for other creators. Doug has stepped back from comics to invest in his family and spend time with some family medical needs. And there's a lot of people in this community that love Doug and will be excited when he can finally come back. But he created some space with his big hype books. I got to have some stories in there. I got a chance to work with uh, some other projects that were coming along. And just over the course of that, began to interact with other creators who were crowdfunding. A couple of us got together to create a group called Phoenix, which is a comics collective of like-minded cartoonists and writers, kind of bootstrapping work and getting it out there. We try to promote each other's stuff as much as possible while building awareness. But that, I think the anthology space is where that really began because then you're spreading out the risk. If a whole bunch of creatives coming together to make stuff, you know, we can all try to draw people's eyes to it and then introduce backers to each other's work and, and grow the experience from there, which is, is such a beneficial thing. And I think the anthology really got revived in the US indie comic scene as a result, where when it was just something you might find occasionally in, in a comic shop, those are not always sustained sales. But if you can go directly to an audience that's interested in New York, man, that's big. That's huge. No, uh, agreed. So now I want to get into the seeds. What is waking life? Because currently on Kickstarter, this is book two, baby. I was just diving into it, and I I I noticed already immediate changes just in the first pages. Like I, I noticed you you look like you got more comfortable into the style of the book because you know I read the whole volume more. Very Andrew McLeanish, if you will, McLeanish. You know what I mean? I McLean, appreciate that. From Hell Opera, I love that book, and I'm reading. I was like, wow, kind of so similar. So I dig that style. So I'm like, all right, you know, this is fire. They're going to story the narrative and it's fun. There's this, you know, a kid could read this, an adult could read this and enjoy it just the same. So I was saying, so I want to know what are the seeds to wake in life? When, when was this born in your head? When did you put a pen to paper and how easy was you to navigate again the crowdfunding space? If that's how you did the first one. Man, I, I appreciate the questions. It's. It may have been a bad idea at, at the genesis of it. Little Nemo in Slumberland is this amazing classic comic strip from the early 20th century. Everyone loves when they find Windsor McKay's work because he could draw amazing scenarios. I fell in love with Little Nemo in high school. And in 2015, there was a massive 
crowdfunder project to do a tribute volume to Little Nemo. It's called Dream Another Dream. And the book was, it, can, I, can I pull the book for you? Can I actually show it on camera real oh, quick? Oh, of course you can. Let me put you in that first box so you could, you, and folks, while he's gone, look at his spaceship. Yeah, <laughs> there's all the spaceships. Y'all listen, this is, I'll, I'll show you, this is the size of my book, Waking Life. This is the size of the Little Nemo tribute. Oh, it's huge, right? It's the size of, of a broadsheet, the old newspaper style in the United I States. I want to see you read that in the park and, and, and just get people's reaction. Like, what the hell is this guy? We'll doing? just make the pages go. And there's some killers in here, man. You've got stuff from Paolo Rivera. You've got things oh, Gerhard from, from Cerebus. There's a frontage piece in here. Uh, you've got some amazing work. I mean, I'll just give you a quick sample because this isn't even my stuff. But look, just oh. brilliant comics in here. And J.G. Jones does some stuff in here. Cliff Chiang. Pretty much anyone who's great working in North American comics in 2015 did this. And I was looking at this volume and I was looking at all these brilliant tributes and it just got me excited about Little Nemo. And I found a Bill Watterson quote. The guy from Calvin and Hobbes was talking about how McKay was good at evoking visual scenarios. But the inner lives of his characters were something that went unexplored, mm-hmm. mostly because McKay had a lot of things going on. He was doing vaudeville acts. He was doing editorial cartoons. And Little Nemo was meant to just be a visual treat. Yeah. But the idea of what are these characters' inner lives like, that caught fire in my head. And, and I thought to myself, Little Nemo plays with the princess in, in these Nemo strips. But what happens when he outgrows her? How does she deal with that? How does she find someone else to spend time with? What happens if that person starts to outgrow her? And so from that genesis, this idea of let's explore the inner life of this princess character who is eternally young and a kid who maybe is trying to outgrow her and she's not ready for that. What if she came to his world? What if we flipped Little Nemo on its head? That was the genesis of the book. In some ways, it worked a little bit more intentionally than than I planned on because I don't draw as well as Windsor McKay, especially not when I started this thing in 2016. So here I am trying to take the work of a master cartoonist and, to, and doing an inverted spin on it. And my own art, which has a lot of room to grow at that point, is trying to take on and stand next to this fantastic Titan who basically invents American animation, right? So it was, I basically set a high bar for myself to grow. And I think chasing the work of a master cartoonist like McKay caused me to develop a lot as a cartoonist over the course of telling the story, which is, I think, what you saw in volume two. I had been learning and growing, and the craft had been developing over the course of telling the tale. Yeah, it was immediately, immediately noticeable to me. I was, oh, wow, pop miss. Oh, damn, growth. You saw yeah. I yeah. was. And now, now I understand. So you know, for 2016 to, to, to now, kind of, I mean, wow, yeah. amazing. All right, so folks, I'm gonna start showing this, this amazing project that's out now. So before anything, let me put this on the big screen over here so you guys can see Thanks. these numbers. We have 13 days to go. A big salute to those 29 backers. Thank you for supporting independent comic books. Listen, we're looking for 1,200 right now. Of course, a lot more. Where am I? You know what? There's a couple of paydays to go on this one, so I know you know somebody's getting paid this week or next week. So y'all could, in fact you know, uh, put some money down on this because they're so very close. $817, folks. They're so close. Let's make it happen, all right? So uh, so start digging into this wonderful world, man, right here. Look at this. And a big shout out to Ink Pub, you know, my homie out there, Keith and that, that whole team out there. You know, you can check them out uh, at uh, right there. 
Inked.marketing, all right? The Ink Studio. Check them out. Good people right there. They send you over a solutions guide for with their services, examples of campaigns, animations, and testimonials. All you got to do is email them at solutions at ink.marketing. All right? So low. So let's go. Low the font there. Waking life. When I was looking at the title, I said, okay, what, what is this about? I did not know what I was diving into because I go blind. Like, I don't read no synopsis or nothing. Give me the book. All right. Let me. Does it hook me immediately, or or or, or is it going to be a snooze fest? And I just fought myself, just caught up in the story, man. Like, ooh. And like I said, I used to think about this stuff as a kid. Well, you know, what happens when you dream? <laughs> so I, I like that you you went upon that concept. What does happen? You go elsewhere. Is it a real thing? And and I love that twist. Now you know now. You know, almost Freddy-ish, if you will. <laughs> you- yeah. <laughs> Were you a Freddy fan? Man, when I was a kid, I was scared to death. The The way that I interacted with scary movies, this is a library story again. My school library had, like, book versions of, like, Friday the 13th and the Alien films and the Amityville Horror. And I would read those kind of between my fingers. And then we'd go to the local video store and there'd be all the Freddy movies there. I think... The newest one that I remember coming out when I was a kid was New Nightmare, the Wes Craven one that was like metafictional, you know? Yeah. But oh my gosh, you know, nightmares still get me. And I still have, I still get so shook by frightening material. So the way that I dive into it, the way I treat it is, is very cautious. And probably the best example of that right now, the scariest thing in my house is Doctor Who, because I can watch it with my kids. And so it's scary enough to give us the creeps, but it's not like, blood and gore that causes no one to sleep because then because then that's that's challenging man i like my yeah. wife to sleep i like my kids to sleep you're not watching terrifier anytime soon huh Woo, i read about terrifier i'm not ready for it. i mean volume two's got the like magical warrior girl situation going on and that sounds awesome but yeah i'm not ready for for that clown with that black dot on his nose to come haunt my dreams anytime soon Woo, woo. <laughs> so you know what that one coming in real life let me tell oh, you my but- gosh no, so, so I mean, let's meet the cast over here that's being you know introduced in you. But we have the princess of the dreaming realm, Stacy. So talk, talk to me about Stacy and, and how how you created her, and and does she personify anyone in your real life? Yeah, she is directly the princess character from Windsor McKay's work. That she is intended to be one and the same. Part of her story is being revealed as the as the tale goes on, but essentially. The life that she knows is that she is the daughter of the king of the land of dreams, that she can have whatever adventures she wants to, but she really wants meaningful companionship. She wants someone to stick with her and be close like a brother. That was initially Nemo, and it's been a series of playmates over time. At the time of this story, her most recent one, Robbie, who we'll get to, Robbie's outgrown her. Uh, He's a teenager. He's got dreams of his own that he wants to accomplish in real life. He doesn't want to hang out. And so she decides instead of moving on to another friend, she is going to keep this friendship. She's tired of being left behind. So she takes measures to find her way into our world. She is definitely an assertive personality. She is a believer in people. In that respect, she is very much like my wife, Kristen, who is also a brunette with great intentionality. My wife is a math teacher. She's not a dream world princess, but man, she she knows what's up. Yeah, but educators, thank you guys for your service, man. I know it's tough now. <laughs> oh, man, no. Nah. It's it's a blessing. So that's that's very much the inspiration. And I think in some ways, my mother and my eldest daughter, who was our first child born around the time the book was made, there are also some inspirations for this. I, I saw in the princess this character who just had goals. 
was not apologetic about it, but also cared about people in that process. And I thought that was a winsome mix for someone who was going to go turn conventional wisdom on its head. Okay. Talk to me about 15-year-old Robbie, you know, her, her newest friend. And I'm curious, too, so is that how she loses friends, really? They outgrow her or, or, or do some actually last a lifetime? They outgrow her over time. When they hit adolescence, they tend to move out. Now, one thing that the book is working for. Yeah, a little bit. It's like a reverse Peter Pan, right? Like okay. we do outgrow Wendy, but in this case, Peter comes to our world. The thing with Robbie is he's a direct tribute to Windsor McKay and Windsor McKay's family. Robert McKay was Windsor McKay's son. And just in the same way that McKay, he didn't directly invent animation, but he popularized it and refined that process in the United States. Robbie wants to be an animator as a tribute to the creator of the Little Nemo comic strip. In this way, his dream is really a goal. It's not something metaphorical. He actually wants to animate, but he wants to bring stories to life because that's the way Robbie connects with people. He is not so much a people person as a creative person. He kind of has to be forced to interact with people. Mm -hmm. A big part of his journey in the story is to learn to accept other people's help and input because that's something that can be trusted. He's got a reason that he's closed off that gets more revealed towards the end of book two. There's been something in his life that's made him feel very isolated. And the princess's persistence is helping him open up again. And you can tell that, you know, even through through the first one, there's a tension there. And, 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 and good job. So you have me curious, too, like, why is he like this? <laughs> like the, I'm asking myself, you know, so it's good. I, I caught that. Pretty, pretty cool. All right. So, oh, oh man, uh, this cast bar, I, I can't stand them. He reminds me of the, 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 the kids' cartoon, the Caillou. Uh, I, I want to give him a knock over the head. <laughs> Caillou was a bad influence on kids. Let me tell you, I watched a couple of episodes. I said, yo, I don't want my kid watching this. <laughs> yeah, this messed things up. No, that's hilarious. How, uh, how old are your kids? Just out of curiosity, are they? The one that she's a college graduate now at 22. But when she was small, I would notice things. And then I mm-hmm. said, you know, she had a big win sometimes. So I sat down while she watching it. I noticed that some behaviors came out of Caillou. I said, that little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, that's one that my kids have not watched, probably because of the stuff around it. We we have don't, our kids watch things like Bluey. Yeah, no, no, don't don't let it do it. So talk to me, I don't like this diverse cast. So talk to me about Anna. Yeah, so Anna takes on a bigger role in book two, but she is one of the first people in real life who connects tries to connect with Robbie. He kind of rejects her because he's, again, a little suspicious of people. But she is someone who is wide open to the world. She says what she thinks. She does not want to be an animator, but she wants to be a photographer. And she and Robbie are bonding over this idea of seeing the world in a different way. She's the grounded audience perspective in the story. She does not know there's a dream world. She does not believe in one. And if she gets exposed to it over the course of the narrative, again, that picks up a lot in book two, uh, her reactions help stand in for the way the audience can perceive the story. Look at this guy. You learn more in book two, but geez, I, I can't wait to jump right back into it. Right. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. But she's she's really just kind of a peripheral character in book one. We see her in a couple of key moments. She takes on a major, almost protagonist role in the second book. So it definitely oh, grows. Oh, all right. But, but now, why is Jason such a douche? Oh, my God. You introduced some, uh, you know, I, I would have been the kid in the bus that we would have had a fight then. You don't, you don't talk for me. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and Rob, Robbie didn't know how to really throw a punch in real life, though that that would be maybe advantageous for him. I, I'm going to tell you, I, I think I kind of stole Casper from a different source. Did you ever read 
the Bendis run of Ultimate Spider-Man, like the old 2000s one? Yeah, of course, of course. Man, the, the character of Kong in that story, he starts off as a bully to Peter, yeah. but over time he becomes a sympathetic character who's in Peter's circle. He's a bald kid. I, I wonder if Bendis modeled him on himself, maybe. Casper yeah. was kind of <laughs> unconsciously drawn from that. And Casper, turns out, is someone who also has an imagination, and he's a little bit jealous of Robbie, because Robbie's a little further along in what he can do than Casper is. Yeah. Casper's on the outs with his dad. He just doesn't really have anyone who belongs, so he takes out his frustrations by basically kind of trying to make people do what he wants or harass them. We're going to see a softer side to him as the story goes on. He's always dressed in a giant, puffy blue coat. That's a little bit of a hint as to who he is on the inside. He is a little bit more puffy than he is mean, but he gets put in his place by Stacy, the princess character in, at the end of book one. And by the time we're done with book two, we're going to have a real pers- different perspective on that character and why he might be worth spending time around. Well, yeah, man, I, I, I love that interaction when she stepped in and, and when she started interacting with the world, man, woof, definitely already changing Robbie's uh, game a bit. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. And now Max is is weird, and he, you know he he it's fun, funny to us, but 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 if he's trying to pimp, he ain't so funny. <laughs> no, no, he's not. Uh, and he's he's a direct tribute to a different McKay character in the Nemo strips. Nemo had a friend named Flip who had a green face and smoked a cigar, even though he was a child. And and Flip is actually in the story. He's hidden behind a different name, but a perceptive audience member will figure out pretty quickly who Flip is. Max is related to the original Flip from Little Nemo. He is sort of the next generation of this character who wants to cause mischief. But Max is a tender soul. And really, the thing that's motivating him is he's trying to get the attention of a girl. And that's why he's got these antics. He's not mature enough yet to know that he can do different things and actually be more of a hero than just a pain in somebody's side to get attention. And he's primarily restricted to the dream world, but he knows some things about it that even Stacy, the princess, doesn't know. And it's through his help and innovations that they might find some solutions that'll let them accomplish the things they want to in the real world. Yeah, I know. There was a nice little scene. I, I saw I saw it. It was just a moment where, when he got a compliment on an unexpected one, you know, mm-hmm. to the day. And I saw it. I said, like, oh, shit. But nothing was said. I said, OK, hopefully that'll be touched upon later. But that, 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 that seemed like it was something cool that, that, that we did for him. So and talk about Handy. Yeah. That That is the other side of the equation for Max. Candy is based on another McKay character whose name was the Candy Kid. And the Candy Kid was a male character in the original story. But I did not want the Princess Stacy character to just be isolated to real world people. So Candy Kid is her friend. They hang out in the dream world. Candy Kid is responsible for taking care of the infants who dream. And Stacy helps her with that just because they're tight. Candy Kate has never had adventures. She's always kind of left behind when the princess goes and does things with her playmates. And she really wants some adventures. So that's her driving motivation. She wants to find some action for herself. And she's going to pursue that. At the same time, she's starting to realize that Max has a crush on her. And she's not sure if that annoys her or if that's actually interesting. So those threads will start to come together for her. She's going to start to break out of the boundaries of her role in a little bit. Really, a lot of these characters seem to have a defined box or pigeonhole. They start to break out of those a little bit as the story goes on. And we'll see that with her for sure. Yeah. You know, we got the extended cast here of Daddy, Ray King Morpheus, Mama's Dina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here, this this guy. What is wrong with this? Well, where did your brain go with this guy? Man, you know? well, he's that little green man who's like super insecure and he's trying to play it off by conquering the world. Well, Lorgus is the head of the nightmare armies, but he's not in control of the nightmares. He just sort of leads the battles. 
He's got half a brain, so he's kind of smart, but he's not the man who makes the plan. That's somebody else. Yeah, he's very schemish. That's how I saw him as. Yeah, that's no, I <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, he, he's definitely kind of like a like a sneaky fella. We see him get his butt kicked at the start of book one, and then we cut back to him in the middle of the book to see that he's kind of fallen down a few rungs in the ladder in his failures. He is going to be tasked with some responsibility that will aid the nightmares and their objective to prey on human dreams. And that's going to directly intersect with what's going on with the kids in the real world in that second book. Oh, cool, cool, cool. And and here, it's all about the second world. Another character actually, you know, uh, went in there. And, and, and poor Princess wasn't very happy. <laughs> not, not a bit. Yeah, Dr. Placebo is based on the McKay character of Dr. Pill. They're not one and the same. They're pretty close. But Placebo is basically a man who is too smart for his own good. Uh, he thinks he knows what everyone else should be up to. But he is not quite connected with how he comes off to people who he gives advice to. So he gives advice to the king. He's real skeptical of the king's decisions. He is sent to our world to watch over Stacy, maybe as a punishment, maybe as a way to help. He's kind of an annoying character. But he will, despite his best tries to stand in our character's way, find himself becoming more sympathetic to what they're trying to do as he understands it. He's a man who lacks internal understanding. And once he gains that, that begins to benefit other people. And lastly, the bane. Is this the yeah. bane of all existence here? That's the bane of all existence. Absolutely, man. And again, that's a little McKay joke. One of Windsor McKay's bosses when he worked in the New York newspaper scene was a man named Arthur Brisbane. Uh, he was an editor who was very kind of polemic. He wanted to make a lot of big statements about things he hated. McKay did not like drawing editorial cartoons for this guy, and Brisbane made his life miserable. So I figured <laughs> if we're making a story based on the man, let's make the antagonist named after the man's real-life antagonist. So the Bane is a person who comes in and tries to control the nightmares. He's got an agenda. He has some things he wants them to do. He seems nightmarish, but his outward appearance is actually all armor. We don't really know what the Bane looks like yet. And the revelation of that information is going to be pretty shaking to the characters in the story. Ooh, and let's take a look at a couple of interiors from the one that you could see. I mean, look at his coloring, line work, panels. I mean, are you do what are you, are you doing everything on this, or you have a team on this? Let's pop. Uh, it's on me. It's on me. The yeah, one show. Should be Robert Rodriguez here because when he first started making movies, he was the one man band, apparently bringing everything all by himself. Man, Rebel with a cr without a crew, right? That was the book he wrote on it. <laughs> Absolutely, gotta love Robert Rodriguez. I, I got a book over here, Red Rocket Seven by Mike Allred. Rodriguez writes the introduction. He said, "I read this book because my son's name is Rocket, and I just dug it. And this book's amazing." Uh -huh. uh, and Mike Allred, at least, you know, works with his wife. He's got a team on that. No, this all me. So if anything here is good, I will take credit. If you don't like it, well, that's all my fault. So I got to take both sides of it. But. Nah, it it's fire. So talk about working on, on this particular project. Because you started that first and you said so many years ago. So, you know, what what how much time between that first and when you started laying pen and paper on this one? I think it was about a year of process. I started thinking about this story after my son was born in 2015. And I was working at a nonprofit in Houston at the time. So I was driving back and forth between my home and, and the kind of suburban area and the city itself. And I just had a lot of time to think in the car. And McKay was really on my brain. So I decided it might be good to make a webcomic out of this idea. And what I could do is I could design my pages to be basically the size of McKay's newspaper pages, but I could break it up into smaller boxes so I could publish it on the web. So you could see a big page with as many as 16 panels. 
or we could do it a panel at a time, kind of with the webtoon scroll. And so as I began working on that, I approached Comicer Press. And at that time, Comicer's model was to publish comics first as web comics, then as digital comics on Comixology and Hoopla and Drive Through Comics, and then finally to collect work in print format. And with a web comic model that could be converted to something else, that created some opportunities to to do things with their publishing model, which I was really grateful for. But a lot of waking life is built for speed. So you'll notice real world scenes they're limited to like a five color palette. Uh, we don't have a lot of different colors there. The dream world scenes, they actually use a color palette that's from 1930s comics. So it's the kind of stuff that wasn't exactly around when McKay was working. It's a little bit after his time, but it evokes the kind of wild colors that he was known for. I love this, man. And, and look at the panel. Man, how much fun was it putting this together? Oh my gosh. That's a good time, man. I mean, you got all the budget in the world. It's just what you can put on the page, right? If you want to tell a comic story. So to come up with wild ideas and just stick them in there was like, it was a delight. It, I think kind of like Robbie, I get to let my imagination run around a little bit. And that's always fun, you know? All right. So I always then running that journey dolo, you know, nice peace of mind. Are you hard on yourself? Do you give yourself, you know, a, a schedule and a time frame to get work done? Because again, you know, being by yourself and having to work with others, you know, you yeah. might relax sometimes. Like, I, I oh, don't for sure. <laughs> a lot of it is from Comica. Comica helps me with the schedule for it. So basically, oh. once I started creating the material, we would set deadlines for when things would go on the web or when they'd be published in issues. And in terms of the books, book one was really made from 2016 to 2018, came out in print 2018. And then book two was in process from 2017 to about 2020. So with book two, it, it's honestly been hanging out for a little bit. And I've been revising it and working on it and tweaking it to the point where it's ready for publication in 2023. And Comicers have been really gracious with giving me the timeline to make sure that second book reads and feels as good as I want it to feel. Wonderful. And how many volumes are, are you, you thinking you know, you're going to push this story? Volume two ends on a cliffhanger. This is our Empire Strikes Back of the story so far. So it definitely asks audiences to come back for a third story. The third volume would ideally be out next year, maybe a little bit early in 2025. Uh, but that should wrap up the main plot threads of the story and bring a resolution to where things are with Robbie and Stacy and their friendship uh, and what they're doing in life. That said, there is a whole sequel storyline ready to go for Waking Life that involves a lot of craziness in the dream world. We spend a lot of time in our world with this story. Once the real world stuff's done, we got to go over there too. So if the audience wants it and they're there for it, we've got a sequel storyline lined up that can follow this main story. I mean, I kind of see it because if she's gone, you know, there's going to be some drama, you know, a, a vacuum, if you will, left. So I'm sure there's going to be some shenanigans. Oh, know? yeah, absolutely. You know? And folks, listen, let, let's take, start taking a look real quick before we go here. You can start as simple as a dollar and be kind and donate that buck. You, you know, a buck is nothing. Come on, folks, nowadays. But of course, if you want to get something, because who doesn't want something, it starts at five bucks. You can enter the dream realm, dream realm right there. All right. You know, one item included with some app, optional add-ons for $10. Now you're getting the PDF. Hello, kiddo. <laughs> You have a, a PDF for Waking Life book one for 10 bucks. The story begins. All right. You can start reading this bad boy. I definitely recommend it uh, for sure. Then you go, I like it here. High quality PDF of Waking Life book two. 
in your p- putting these college words there as a Chappelle <laughs> Trying to challenge that audience, man. Oh, oh man. Awesome. So that right there for 15, we got Citizen of the Dreaming Realm Against Awakened Life. But, oh, wow. So you get that, that's the deal right here. That's the deal. So if you want to pay 15 bucks, you can get the entire story in digital format for the same price as one volume in print format. We really wanted to make it available to those who wanted to check it out. Oh, and, and just to tell people, how many pages is this per volume? So people know how much content they're getting. Yeah, you're you're notching. I keep saying online that it's over 300 pages. It's actually a little closer to 400. So book one runs about 186 pages. Uh, book two clocks in at about 200. So you're getting, yeah, almost 400 pages of content between books. Wow. You hear this? You tell me, guys, what publisher is going to give you that much content and pages for 15 bucks? None. It's a deal. None. We want you and to see it. And it's a fun book. Trust you me, you're going to get hooked. I'm telling you, I'm anxious here to, to get back to reading. Now, <laughs> you know, you can start getting a physical copy right here for 15 now you know if, if you want to smell the ink and get that 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 shout porn as i like to call it right there you can enter the door and put that on yourselves for 15 bucks that beautiful book not just one but also volume two i mean get the set books you gotta you look 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 how dope that is look at those spines that'll be make a nice colorful array on the shelf and look again he does it folks let me show you this again fifteen dollars volume one fifteen dollars volume two print copies but guess what folks if you want both 25 bucks come on we we want you to read it we value this work but yeah and again you already heard the multitude of content you're gonna get here where in the world are you gonna get that much for that price you're not they don't make epic collections. They don't want to stuff like that at that price point anymore. Those days are over. But my man here, Ben, is keeping it alive, baby. He is keeping it alive. <laughs> Love it. I appreciate it. Yes. So what's this here? So this one for 35 What are we getting? Okay. Okay. You're getting the PDF and the prints for 35 And, of course, he shipped anywhere in the world on these, right? Even on the hardcovers? Yep. Anywhere. Anywhere. That's where we're going. Yep. Uh-oh. Now we're talking some here. For you guys that love extra stuff and want to enjoy even more of the world of indie through Comical Press, talk about this baby way for $60. What about people getting? Yeah, you get some incredible stuff through that. That's got a collection of all of Comicers print comics so far. You get Kate Sharon's Casebook of Rabbit Black, which is a enjoyable madcap murder mystery. You get some great work from creep show artist Chris Anderson and his collaborator David Acampo. It's their Lost Angels comic. It's a young adult comic series set in a high school in California when supernatural beings are part of the picture. Chimera by my friend Tyler Ellis is a one-man show about a group of rogue space thieves. And it is a nominee for the Dwayne McDuffie Award for representation in comics. So some really solid volumes there that we want people to check out. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You got to say, right? They see he got award-nominated books in this package. Come on. And his is going to be award-nominated, too, so might as well jump in early now, folks. You know? I appreciate that, yeah. Well, snap. Here we go. Some extra goodies. And no one has jumped on this. How dare they? Folks, it's 25 <laughs> bucks. A head portrait sketch commission. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Dig it. Dig this. And, and not just that, you also get books one and two digital 
TDS. So an original piece, right? And, and you would draw any character or any character out of the book or, or, or at per request. What were we doing? Yeah, per request. I mean, essentially, Waking Life is is a book that's friendly for the family to read. And so, ideally, any drawings would go akin to that. But if you're thinking about a super character, if you're thinking about a beloved pet, if you're thinking about yourself as a character can draw any and all of it. I'm a good commission artist, especially at cons. Like I make affordable commissions for people and they enjoy them. So we figured it'd be cool to offer that as a chance for the for the comic campaign as well. So people could experience that who can't see me at a con in person. Well, Dre, we're going to get into that too before we go, you know, if you're going to make any appearances. Before we do that, look, again, all, all in with comic compressed for 85. So the, the seven, okay, wait. So the first one was 60 was the PDF. But now for 85, you're actually getting print, physical copy now, which is an awesome deal to get a lot of fat, you know, books that way for 85. Listen, folks, this is a great Christmas present. Holidays around the corner. Stocking stuffer package right here, folks. All right. But whoever you give waking life to, make sure you give them both. All right. Oh, please. Yeah. Do not do not leave yourself hanging. No, no. Yeah. Don't do that to them. All right. Don't do that to them. Give them a nice gift. Don't look cheap. All right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And now but for my hair, we'll get a bus commission right, right here for buck twenty. Now you're getting a little bit more, you know, if you want to show off your pecs, fellas, or, or, ah. or whatever else that's going on, ladies, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> a, a little a little more of the environment goes in there, you can see what's going on around. So yeah, we expand the, the horizon a little bit. Love it, love it, love it. Now a hundred and thirty all in print. And digital for those to keep, you know, you collectors and you know don't want, don't like putting creases in them spines. Mm. There we go. This is the package for you. You you, you got yourself porn, and then you're gonna get some nice digital for your tablet. You can put all your fingerprints on and not worry about it losing any value. All right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh man! Look and look at this. This guy keeps teasing. The commissions keep getting bigger. That's our Ooh. biggest tier right there. Yep. Yeah. Well, this, 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 this is the big one. Five out of folks. Why are you guys not jumping at the full body sketch for a buck eighty? Heck yeah. And you're getting comics along with that? How could you oh, say yeah. no? How could there you say no? But optional, optional add-ons, folks. Right. When we got everything. I mean, look, look at all these goods. We got stretch goals, you know, coming soon. I mean, folks, we got to make it happen. The campaign is almost there. We have 13 days to go. Do you see the beauty behind the book? Do you see how he explained and broke down every character? He, he got the story down for you. You ain't going to be disappointed. I promise you. That volume one got me got me hyped. And I said, all right, Ben, when I jumped into it again, you see, you know, uh, amazing growth. And, and the story already started started getting juicy. I'm like, oh, damn it, I, I got to do a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> it works. The crazy anticipation. That's good. We like that. Yeah, man, no, for real, though. I appreciate your time. But now, I, I did mention, I want to know, are you doing any cons for the rest of this year or what? Or, or, or that's a wrap? We're lucky. Houston's building up its indie scene. We just had Bedrock City, which was a good one. We've got Comic Indie coming up in December. I will be there along with some other Houston artists. One that I would point out is uh, Jeremiah Espinoza. He's an artist down here, a writer in Houston. And uh, he's got a Kickstarter campaign going for his Hallowed North book. So, We'll both be posted up there and would be excited to meet folks who are around the Texas area if they're in town uh, to show off our stuff. I should have Waking Life Book 2 in hand with me at that show early December. We've gone ahead and sent the books off to print. Even as this campaign's going, uh, we believe in this story. And so it should be available in December for those who are looking for it in time for Christmas. 
And you hear that, folks? End Time for Christmas is right. Great gift. And look at it. Ahead of time, you're getting your book. Unlike other people that have waited almost 12 years to receive my project. But right there, folks. Support the project. Inc.pub slash Waking Life. All right? And it's live. 13 more days to go. Again, show the love for amazing independent. You know, just that. He's an educator, man. You know, he's out there. Taking care of America's kids right now and educating them. So, you know what? Show some love and support this amazing teacher as well, yo, for real. You know, thank you for doing what you do. One last thing here, of course, as a teacher, I got to ask now, of course, you know, let's have that inspirational moment. You know, what would you tell, you know, the, the, you know, young America, young creators trying to step into the game nowadays? I think the message of this book is the message that I would want my students to have, which is, when you chase your dreams, you can't chase them alone. You've got to have people around you. And the more that you can be vulnerable, lower your guard and trust your heart to people that are worth carrying that, uh, the more support you're going to find. I see this in my students at a really competitive high school who are trying to get the GPA in an honors class. Uh, I see this in the creative writing class I teach there where students are giving feedback on each other's work and helping each other grow just by that contribution factor. We need each other. We need each other. And when you're in a school, Man, that's a great place to find your people and see who you can lean on because we definitely need that. Yeah, folks, don't be shy, be social, be friendly, collaborate, and build. You know, it, it, it takes a village no matter what it is, for real. So yeah. let's all make it happen, for real. Yo, brother Ben, I appreciate you. Thank you for, for hanging out. And of course, you know, allow me the opportunity to check out the project as well. You know, I'm blessed. Uh, I'm, I'm happy. I think you're amazing. I can't wait to see where the story, you know, keeps going from here. And hopefully it becomes a cartoon, a film. I mean, what, you know, which, which, which one would you prefer? Cartoon, film, TV show, live action? Like, what, what would you think? I mean, that's a great question. That's, I, you know, I think this probably leads itself best to animation. Animation's inspired so much of this story. If, if people wanted to watch it, it would ideally play out over a couple of different installments. Maybe, maybe a show. I, I think that would probably be its best venue, but man, if the audience loves it and they want it, they'll let that be known. And so we'll keep making stories for it. You guys keep wanting it. Yep. Keep making it. Folks, support independent comics. All right. And amazing creators. Thank you for watching the Comic Crusaders podcast. I'll see you my man. Much love. Wepa! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. Also, please visit Comic Crusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at Pumpkin Cover. And also make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today.